Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 45, Philip. I'm sure you would all like me to go straight into talking about Hannibal and Philip, which is pretty much what I'm going to do. But first, let me just say a word about the meetup. Last Sunday, I went down to London to hang out with podcasters and listeners. Unfortunately, having to leave early due to a train having to be catched. But I had a fantastic time. An afternoon in a pub talking about history, podcasting, football. It was a great evening, and something I'm definitely going to do again. While I really want to do something in America and Canada at some point, it's slightly out of my reach for the moment. Slightly closer to home, I'm definitely doing London again. And maybe something in Dublin with Mr. Twamley of When Diplomacy Fails. But we'll see about that, and I'm sure you've had enough of my yattering. So let's just get on with it. As the Punic War waged on, around the western Mediterranean, the King of Macedon, Philip V, saw it as a golden opportunity to take advantage of the situation. Macedon was not as powerful as it had once been, under the leadership of Philip II and Alexander the Great. But it was still a formidable force, and easily the most powerful state in Greece, much to the annoyance of the Greek cities. As the other successors to Alexander, the Seleucids in Asia and the Ptolemies in Egypt, fought against each other, both in a long decline, the biggest threat to a resurgent Macedonia was Rome. As we've already discussed, Rome had been drawn into the eastern Mediterranean to fight Illyrian pirates, and had set up a bridgehead, forming relationships with the Greek cities. It's at this moment that war broke out in Italy. Philip sat back and watched to see what would happen as Hannibal and the Romans duked it out in Italy. No sense of getting involved in such a conflict without having a good idea of who was going to win. The policy of side with who's winning is obviously an old one. Philip's mind was made up for him on the battlefields across the sea as words came to him of stunning victory after stunning victory for the Carthaginians, and he sought to make a deal with them. Under the command of a man named Xenophanes, a delegation was sent to Hannibal, heading towards Capua. Because of lack of supplies and basic practicalities, Xenophanes would have to sail to Italy, either the Adriatic coast or the south, and make his way overland to Hannibal. He had to avoid the major ports, Tarentum and Brundisium, as Roman ships were guarding both, and so he landed near Croton and made his way north to Apulia, planning to then head west to Capua. But disaster struck. They were captured by a Roman force and taken to the praetor Livius. When questioned, Xenophanes decided upon a risky strategy to bluff his way out. He said that Philip had sent them to make an alliance with Rome. And he was travelling to the consuls. Livius was delighted, thrilled that Rome would gain such a powerful ally when other cities were fading away from the Italian confederacy. 
he gave them a warm welcome and told them the best routes to travel. Xenophanes left the camp and made his way to Hannibal, where terms were agreed. As we here at the History of Podcast are nothing if not thorough, I shall read to you the treaty as preserved in Polybius, Book 7, Chapter 9. This is a sworn treaty between Hannibal the General, Margo, Micran, Bamokar, such other members of the Carthaginian Senate as were present with him, and all Carthaginians serving under him on the one side, and on the other side, Xenophanes, son of Cleomarchus the Athenian, the envoy whom Philip of Macedon, son of Demetrius, sent to us to represent him, together with the Macedonians and their allies. The oath is taken in the presence of Zeus, Hera and Apollo, in the presence of the god of Carthage, of Hercules and Iolaus, in the presence of Ares, Triton and Poseidon, in the presence of the gods who fight on our side, and of the sun, the moon and the earth, in the presence of rivers, harbours and waters, in the presence of all gods who rule Carthage, in the presence of all gods who rule Macedonia and the rest of Greece, in the presence of all the gods of war who preside over this oath. Hannibal the general, and those with him, and all the Carthaginian senators with him, and all the Carthaginians serving in his army, propose that in respect of what seems good to you and to us, we should make this sworn treaty of friendship and goodwill, and become as friends, kinsmen, and brothers on the following conditions. First, that King Philip and the Macedonians, and those of the rest of the Greeks, who are their allies, should protect the Carthaginians, the sovereign people, Hannibal their general, and all those peoples who shall live under Carthaginian rule and observe the same laws. Likewise, the people of Utica and all the cities and tribes that are subject to Carthage, and our soldiers and allies. Likewise, all the cities and tribes in Italy, Cisalpine Gaul, and Liguria, with whom we are in alliance, and with whomsoever in this country we may hereafter enter into an alliance. Second, that King Philip and the Macedonians, and those of the rest of the Greeks, who are their allies, shall be protected and guarded by the Carthaginians who are serving with us, by the people of Utica, and by all the cities and tribes that are subject to Carthage, by our allies and soldiers, and by all peoples in Italy, Cisalpine Gaul, and Liguria, who are our allies, and by such others as may hereafter enter into alliance with us in Italy, and the adjacent regions. Third, that we shall form no plots, nor set ambushes against one another, but with all sincerity and goodwill, and without subterfuge or secret design, we shall be the enemies of those who make war against the Carthaginians, always exempting those kings, cities, and nations with whom we have sworn treaties and friendship. Fourth, that we shall likewise be the enemies of those who make war against King Philip, always accepting the kings, cities, and peoples with whom we have sworn treaties and friendships. Fifth, that you will be our allies in the war, which we are now engaged against the Romans, until such a time as the gods grant victory to us and to you, 
and you will give us such help as we may need, or as we shall mutually determine. Sixth, that when the gods have granted us victory in the war against the Romans and their allies, if the Romans shall request the Carthaginians to make terms of peace, we shall make such an agreement as shall include you too, and on the following conditions. That the Romans shall never be permitted to make war on you. That the Romans shall no longer rule over Corsaira, Apollonia, Epidamos, Pharos, Dimale, the Parthini or Atintania. And that they shall hand back to Demetrius of Pharos those of his friends who are presently in territory under the rule of Rome. Seventh, if the Romans ever make war upon you or us, we shall give help to one another in this conflict as may be required on either side. Eighth, the same action shall follow if any other nation makes war upon you or upon us, always excepting those kings, cities or peoples with whom we have sworn treaties of alliance. Ninth, if we decide to remove from or add to this sworn treaty, we shall remove or add only such clauses as both of us may determine. There you have it, the full Carthaginian-Macedonian alliance treaty. How many other podcasts would give you that, eh? Probably not very many. Mostly because it very rarely ever comes up. There are three things I feel are worth touching upon. I find the assumption of victory quite interesting. Not that I was expecting to find something expecting defeat, but more of a blanket, we will help each other in war. Second, that other alliances would sometimes take priority over this one. I'd have thought such a key alliance would be the most important one in the minds of the Carthaginians and Macedonians, but quite clearly they do not have to get involved if they fight each other's allies. And then most surprising is Section 3. Just why would they place a clause saying they wouldn't ambush each other in their alliance agreement? I guess it's more of a blanket oath not to betray each other. But still, I'd be very interested to see how many alliances currently in effect include clauses saying they will not ambush each other. So, the alliance was agreed, and Carthaginian delegates were sent with the Macedonians to make Philip swear the oath. Though, once they reached their boat and began sailing to Macedonia, they were spotted by the Romans, who stopped them, where Xenophanes tried his bluff a second time. The Romans were hesitant to believe it this time. They were deeply suspicious of the accent and dress of the Carthaginians. The Carthaginians were threatened, and eventually the truth was revealed, and letters from Hannibal and Philip were discovered. They were taken to Gracchus, who placed them all on different ships so that they could not conspire amongst themselves. They were all sent to Rome, arriving at about the same time, along with the letters between Hannibal and Philip. In typical Roman fashion, the response to this threat from the east was to mount an offensive. Funds which had been set aside to repay a loan to Hiero 
on Sicily, was transferred to this new front, along with 25 new ships, and the five ships which had been holding the delegates. This gave Valerius Flaccus, the fellow who had been transferred from Campania to lead the war in Apulia, command of 55 ships, as he already had 25. At least I'm pretty sure this is the guy. There is also a Valerius who is a praetor, and a Flaccus who is also a praetor in 215. And after talking about Valerius Flaccus, Livy goes on to talk about a Valerius and a Flaccus. So I think it's Valerius Flaccus and the Praetor Valerius who are having this conversation, though this isn't terribly important. While the ships were being moved about, one of the captured ships managed to escape and made its way to Philip, where he was informed that the Romans had intercepted the message. Not knowing whether the agreement had been made, Philip was forced to send a second delegation to Hannibal. This one went perfectly. Though, by the time the agreement had finally been agreed, the summer of 215 was over, and Philip had to delay his attack for another year. This gave the Romans vital breathing room, and it is a good place to end today's episode. My apologies for it being a bit on the short side, but for reasons that aren't that interesting, I'm having to write the episode and record it on Friday afternoon, so I've had a few hours rather than a few days to put this together. Though, if you are determined to listen to some more of my lovely voice, check out my other podcasts. Alexander Remastered now has three episodes out, two of which are completely new, not featuring any material which was in the podcast or the book, all about classical Greece and the rise of Philip. There is also my Arab Spring podcast. I think it is some of my best work, if I do say so myself, and I've just finished a series of episodes looking at Ataturk and the birth of Turkey, as I'm about to move on to looking at how Persia became Iran. I really recommend giving it a listen, and if you could leave any reviews for any of the shows on iTunes, you would be absolutely incredible. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.